Hey, how's it going, everybody? How are you doing? It's good to hear. It's good to hear. Hopefully, everyone's been great. You've been drinking water, getting out in the sun. Uh, I'd like to thank you back again to uh, Plant Talk, or These Are Things I Tell My Plants. Um, this is a podcast that's all about growth towards the sun um, by just having deeply rooted conversations. Today, I meet with Hijack. Uh, a local Milwaukee band or a band based in Milwaukee, uh, a rock band. I am so sorry. I'm terrible. Uh, a rock band based here in Milwaukee of uh, Ron and Max. Uh, I've known Max, uh, for some years. Um, and it's amazing to kind of see the growth, uh, and to literally have, uh, been a part or at least have witnessed, uh, some of their amazing live shows that they're known for, uh, along with some of the very catchy hooky songs and some of the great lyrics and songwriting that they provide in those songs. Um, they pride themselves on their technical ability and the musical versatility through their unique sound that has broken barriers, uh, in demo, in places all over the world. And I hope that this episode uh, gives you a deeper look uh, into why they're dope uh, and why I had to have them on and why I had to tell my clients about them. Um, so, without further ado, um, let's just uh, center ourselves. So, wherever you are, close your eyes. And then we're just going to breathe in. All right. Um, all right, man. Well, conversation's already been sorry started. We already started chopping it up. So I'm going to slide us through on the low. Um, you already know. Check out the brands that we have in the, in the episode descriptions. If you're looking for a place to support, uh, if you're looking for a place to donate, there are places there, too, as well. Um, if you're looking to email me about questions, suggestions, plant talk 414 at gmail.com. Um, you're looking to find Hijack. You can find them everywhere. Uh, it's just going to be hi, H-I, like hi, uh, slash J-A-C-K. Uh, I was able to find them literally everywhere. You can probably type in Milwaukee after it to really hone in on it if you didn't want to kind of like Google do the search. Um, but yeah. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this. Like, subscribe, comment on there. Share this with people, too, as well. And uh, also, let me know. Um, bad, good, you hated it, you couldn't stand it, you know. Uh, everything is going to help me with, uh, you know, fine-tuning this, honing this, and, you know, letting this become more of a labor of love than the labor that it is. <laughs> All right. Stay dope, you know. And always, grow towards the sun. Um, so I have hijacked here. I have Ron and I have Max. Hey guys, how's it going? Pretty good. How you guys doing? Excellent. Can't complain. That is what's up, man. Sorry, I am doing other things over here. Also, uh, don't mind me doing other things over here too as well. That's how I, uh, you know, process. You the man behind the curtain. <laughs> All right. Um, so you guys know. Uh, how I always start off is I start off with a karaoke. I love karaoke. I feel that the better way is to just be awkward and then, you know, talk about some real shit. Uh, so I am going to do Broken Clocks by SZA because it is Women's Month. Um, 
So obviously with it being Women's Month, you guys are probably hearing this in April. So uh, we would like to welcome y'all. Uh, but I'm going to do Broken Clocks by SZA. <clears throat> um, running fast for my day job, running fast from the way it was, jump quick to a paycheck, running back to the strip club, I'm never going back, never going back. You know you can't make me Never going back, never going back They never take me I've had, I've paid enough of petty dudes I've had enough of shitty news I've had a thing for dirty shoes Since I was 10, love dirty men alive Ooh, better day than yesterday Ooh, I just take it day by day Ooh, never hearing what they say Ooh, I just do it my way. All I got is these broken clocks. I ain't got no time, just burning daylight. Still love and it's still love. Nothing but love for you. Nothing but love. And I, I could probably go into the whole song, but I ain't gonna do that. <laughs> hijack, hijack, hi Jill, but hijack. How are you guys doing? We're good. I mean, just. The end of another week, at least for me, I have, I don't have to work tomorrow. I just have to go get my first COVID shot. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Um, oh, and then I'm, I'm having, uh, I'm having a couple of friends over for dinner. So I have to make sure that dinner is good to go, but that's about it. Happy that this week is ending as well. And, uh, looking forward to yeah, St. Patrick's Day uh, dinner just early. <laughs> Well, it falls on a Wednesday this year. It's not like you could do anything anyway. Other than uh, roommates closing out a house. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. okay. okay with Big, it. Move. Big right. move. Yes. Yes, he will finally no longer have roommates. It'll just be him and his wonderful wife, Chris, in their own house. Same oh. mates. I like to, you know, really start from, like, the bone, you know? So, Matt, how are you doing at this moment in time? You can be as honest as you want. Honestly, I'm actually good. I mean, there were parts of this week earlier that I got some news that I was less than happy about. Um, nothing serious. It was just something I was hoping would go one way and did not. Um, so that kind of put me in a, in a mood for a couple of days here. But um, for whatever reason, um, maybe it was just the idea of uh, band practice tonight and having the day off tomorrow that boosted my mood i don't know but i'm actually good right now that's actually great to hear you know i think in these times it's it's very important to to understand that your positivity is not someone else's positivity you know but also being able to say i hope that you know they can uh find it in themselves to find that but i'm happy and i can't let you take that away because you're feeling that way so it's always good to hear when someone is saying like, oh, I'm not just okay. You're like, oh, I'm happy. I'm not working tomorrow. You know, you didn't mention the pandemic, you know? So that was like, you know, that's always, that's yeah. always the three hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I mean, tomorrow, like I said, I'm going to go get my first COVID vaccination shot. So yeah, I'm one step closer to not ever having to mention COVID again, hopefully. hopefully. Right. Um, Ron, man, how yeah. are you at this moment in time? Relieved. <laughs> it's been one trying of a week, man. Especially work-wise and all. But luckily, band practice is actually like 
flip the script and actually like just boost things a lot. So relieved, happy, mainly just relieved in all to make it this far and all. Man, especially you buying a house with your beautiful wife, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's a move right there. How am I? That's a good question. How are you? Man. How are you? Yeesh. Uh, it's just coffee because of earlier this week. Um, yo, I'm, I'm feeling a little trash. I was trash, you know, I was mad toxic, had a whole bunch of toxic masculinity come out at a time where it didn't need to come out, you know? Um, it was just a low point for me. I felt like really shitty after it, you know? Like I'm still doing things to amend it. I said a lot of things that I really didn't mean, you know? So, you know, I'm still feeling the effects of that. Like as a Sagittarius, or at least it's just me, I just always internalize it, put all the guilt on myself. Like if I don't have guilt, I'm like, yo, like something else about to happen. Why hijack, man? Um, how do we get our name? Well, the concept came from two different places. It came from the idea that when we started the band, which was in 2014, uh, so seven years ago at this point, which is yeah. insane to believe. And we're still together. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> so when we started the band, music, music at that point was very, very plastic pop. Like every, even, even like the rap artists that were coming out at that time, I think Nicki Minaj was just like getting popular um cardi b wasn't on the scene yet or anything like that i remember Nicki minaj though um i can't and, remember and katie perry and yeah katie perry and people anyway people like her so it was all very uh plastic and manufactured and Pop. so the idea behind hijack was the idea of hijacking the music industry and and hijacking it away from that plastic manufactured stuff and uh, moving back to a state of mind where there were real musicians playing real instruments, writing their own songs. And then in the last seven years, you know, as, as uh, the cycle that I have observed in music tends to happen and is proving me right, um, the cycle is bringing it back where people once again are getting tired of the plastic stuff and they're starting to move back into a realm where things are getting a bit more raw, a bit more real. It's just what the interesting part is, um, kind of like a wave hitting the beach and then coming away, something extra gets left behind. So now the influence is so, you know, that plastic era may have been overly garbage, but elements of that will then still exist in the art created by the people that are actually playing their instruments. So you're still kind of building upon it. It's just that the best elements of that pop manufactured stuff are then absorbed by the musicians and interpreted using actual instruments or you know synthesizers yeah i think that's a good point to make because like one thing i think about now is like what is my time worth but also like if you go to a show like i think we had this conversation if you go to a show like what elements are you looking at at a show you know like, right. what, what elements are you really paying for, like, in your space? And also, like, you know, you have your equipment, but what things do you, you know, like, can you do that can't be manufactured? Uh, Ron, I do want to ask you this. Um, how did you, like, how did y'all meet? 
The first time that we actually met was at the, uh, not the Blue Pig, the Metal Grill. Same venue. They Yeah, same venue. To, uh, now it's called... Is it X-Ray now? X-Ray Arcade. Yes. That's it. That's so, the same oh, building. Oh, I know where that's at. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, that's, that's, why I wanted to, that's why I wanted to say what it was called now, because it would give it context for anybody that, to show how old we are. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we've been through three name changes for that same bar. That's how old we are. And anyway. it was at that gig. It was uh, my old band, Four Letter Word, and your old band, the MWKs, right? Yeah. And we got into a bill together, which, of course, me being a metalhead at the time, was like, why are we playing with a punk group or a rock group or something like that? And it was interesting. It was weird. My, my band sucked then, just to let you know. <laughs> His band was actually pretty good. <laughs> and we weren't even that good. <laughs> Afterwards, um, his band broke up. Yep. And then um, my band adopted his bass player. And we wanted to continue uh, doing shows and all. So we kind of did like a manufactured band in a sense. Yeah. Uh, you were as a guitarist, the bass player, and myself as a drummer. Yeah, it was a one-night gig with three members in a band that was going to last 24 hours. And that's literally what it was. Yep. We just do it once, and we never speak of this ever again. And, <laughs> yeah, that was it. One and done. And basically went through a couple practices. He sent me a couple of songs in his backlog. So I was like, oh, okay. I drummed to it, and we had like one of excuse me, one or two practices or something like that. Something like that. And then in a couple of the practices, um, he would throw me a couple curveballs and everything else like that. It's it's interesting. It's almost like a guitarist is like a pitcher and a drummer's like a catcher. So he'll be trying out different things like a blues riff or this type of a rock riff or what would ha happen if I played a Stone song at him or what would happen if I played a uh, ACDC song at him. And I was just actually like, oh, okay, he needs this rip, or he needs this catch, and everything else like that. Yeah, he picked he picked and, everything up. Yeah, apparently that worked out, and the whole entire one-off gig really worked out. His uh, dad and uh, uncle were there, and his uncle is definitely in high regards when it comes to the music here, the talent, and everything else like that. Yeah, my uncle knows his shit. He knows what he's talking about. And uh, what ha happened was, after the gig and everything else like that, Max's uncle pulled him aside and was like, if anything happens, you get that drummer. So, and referring to me and everything else like that, this was unbeknownst to me at that time and all. Um, fast forward a little bit, my band eventually broke up. Now I'm not doing anything, so available drummer, or do I just continue? I'm a mechanical engineer. Do I continue on that path? And that was it. Like I, once I heard his band broke up, I was trying to bug him into jamming, but he was kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I was in this band for a, quite a while. I don't know if I want to start another project or if I just want to take a break from music. And I wasn't gonna argue with him on that. I mean, that's fair. So. We kind of left it at that, and then... What happened was, uh, I want a drum kit. So, I was like, one of those signs of like, okay, I want a drum kit, I need to stay into music, 
So All then, right. he, then he messaged me again and said, so uh, I want a drum set. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, so I think we should, we should try this band idea out. And I was like, cool, man. So we actually did kind of this ceremonial transition because at the time what he was using in his other band was this uh, inexpensive drum kit, but it had like nine pieces to it. Yeah, it's an old school uh, wine. I still remember this thing. It was a wine red uh, sound percussion nine piece kit. Okay, so it was crazy. And so we picked a couple of songs to jam to. So we jammed to all those songs with his nine piece kit. And I said, all right. And we broke all of that down and we put up this new kit, which was a five piece drum set uh, yep. from Gretsch. It was a Catalina Birch kit. Got like black this, diamond suit. Yeah, it's got like this black sparkly finish on it. It's very, very cool looking, especially on stage. Uh, if you look at any photographs, pretty much ever, that's yeah, the one you've used. The old school kit. Um, and then he was—he only had five pieces, and he was like, "Man, I don't know." And I said, "All right, well, let's play one song." So we picked a song. I don't remember what it was. And within, I would say, the first ten seconds of him hitting those new drums. You could see it in his face because they were a much better made drum sound. It so it, he was beautiful. just like, boom, 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 boom. and he was like, oh man, and that was it. Then right there, the band was made. We had talked earlier too, as well, about uh, the area that you guys met, like 35th and Hampton. And I, I want to know, I want to hear that story again. Was that the same place, right? Or no, no, it was a completely different. No, that was the same place. When yeah. when I oh yeah, okay. met Ron to do that one-off gig, we met at his house on 36th and Hampton because that's where his drums were set up. So that made the most sense. Um, and then um, once Hijack started, at the time I was living in an apartment in Whitefish Bay, so there was no way that we could rehearse there. Only yeah. their choice was to rehearse where the drums were. And I had been to his house before, and I, uh, I guess, uh, let's just say that I'm, 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 I'm kind of naive, I guess. Like, I can be square. Like, I've been places in Milwaukee where somebody's like, hey, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm here. And they're like, what the hell are you doing <laughs> over there? There was a place I ended up because of a bus stop. I don't remember where it was. But um, I was waiting for somebody to come pick me up, and I ended up just sitting at this gas station. And I don't remember who I texted, but they were like, how are you not dead yet? Oh, and I was man. like, what do you mean? And they were like, that's like the inner city inner city. And I was like, oh, everybody seems nice around here. <laughs> like, no one's, no one's looking at me weird. No one's pulled a gun on me. No one's tried to steal my wallet. I'm like... I'm, yeah. just, I'm just a guy sitting on a corner waiting to be picked up. Like, no one bothered me. So, I'm okay. <laughs> so going to 36 and Hampton was never a big deal. And I think in the entire time that Ron lived there, I think I only ever heard a handful of gunshots, and most of them were pretty far away. Uh, and then he had a neighbor whose uh, curtains caught on fire, so then the fire department showed up that one time. Oh, yeah, uh, that's like across right. The street. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then the only other thing I can think of is when that one person uh, ran into your tree in your front lawn. Yeah, there was a group of kids and everything else like that. They come around the corner and they uh, bounced off the tree in my front yard and then somehow came back and went into the flower bed of uh, the house and all. Um, well, I guess the, the first thing 
that we were lucky enough to be able to do because I had so many songs in a backlog from all the years just writing and recording on my own. Like 25 of them or something like that. It something. Was, it, it was, was a some, fair amount. It was a ridiculous number. It was interesting. To um, but we were able to cherry pick through those songs and we were able to put together um, a solid 45 minute to an hour long set. And so that was automatically that put us in another category because most bands our age wouldn't have been able to necessarily do that. But here we are, you know, we're, we've been a band for two months, but we have, you know, 20 songs we can play. So then you get booked for different gigs and better gigs. And even if you get booked for something last minute, it's still a bigger gig than you would normally get for a band our size. Um, and actually, we were lucky enough, and I always was grateful for this. Right off the bat, we booked our very first show. It was at the Up and Under. We played that show, and the place was packed. We were able to get lots of people in there. I do remember that. Um, but after the show, somebody asked us to play another show. And we were like, yes, of course. And so we did that show, and then it just kind of kept going from there. Kind of the luck that Hijack has had prior to the pandemic is uh, most of the shows we play, we get asked to play on. We don't often go out and book our own shows. When I'm booking like like the tour we were supposed to do in 2020 out of state, yes, those things I have to book. But most of the stuff we do locally, we get asked to play, whether it's by the venue or a different band. Um, and it's been like that since day one. So that's actually been something we've been really grateful about. It's never been hard for us to get shows. How has this pandemic been on your creative mindset in the sense of having all this time to create and feeling the guilt of not being able to create something great or not being able to hit a goal that you kind of set for your time? Uh, I, uh, it was actually, it came at a great time for me because at the beginning of 2020, January or whatever, I was feeling pretty burnt out. I wasn't really, um, coming up with any new ideas or whatever when I was playing and that was frustrating and then the pandemic happened and you know then I was just sitting at home and so you know I had my guitar and so I picked it up more often because that was the other issue is I didn't necessarily get to play more than maybe band rehearsal which is once a week because of work or whatever so now I was able to just spend more time on the instrument again and just play it. Not trying to come up with anything, not whatever, just play it. You know, try a different scale, try this, try that, whatever. And, you know, I gave it a couple of months and then um, I guess around April or May, I had some stuff start to come out of me, um, at least for ideas and everything just kind of started to fall into place. Ideas just started to come out and it's, now I'm in, at a point where um, I'm back in a place where we can come up with ideas consistently again to work on. So it was like yeah. basically back in like the old days where we were just, you'll just come over like, so I got this riff and we're actually like do a song off of that and all. And, it, and for me, for this whole entire uh, 2020 pandemic and all, excuse me, it was enough time to like learn and hone my skills a lot better. So I mean like, I started taking a lot of drum lessons from, uh, excuse me, Kofi Baker, who is the uh, son of Ginger Baker. So I learned like different rudiments and different techniques that I didn't have before. And I had the time to practice those techniques too, because I'm not doing shows as often as 
we were during 2020. So it's like, cool. I figured out like better techniques and all. And then I also like kept on building the recording rig and kept on building like the uh, our studio to uh, demo in and all. And learning more about mic techniques and recording techniques and other th things about like how to make these demos sound pretty cool and all. So I mean like, if we were doing shows and everything else like that, doing like 60 to 80 shows in a year, right? That whole entire like learning process takes longer because you're doing all that on top of it. So I mean like, yes, it does suck that we cannot play shows right now, but at the same time, when we do finally get there, it's gonna be like such a better level of musicianship out of both of us. It's just gonna be ridiculous. It's just gonna be yeah, sure also that thing all the way around. Yeah. We're going to quick break, guys. Um, so just take a word from our sponsor. Have you ever felt like, man, I wanna wear a hat, but I really need my crown today? Well, I got the perfect solution for you guys. Do rags. Do rags. It's a cape. It's a crown. It's a move. And we even got some testimonials here. Um, I wear these everywhere, man. Uh, Terrence Howard. Um, I don't think I should be endorsing this. Uh, Steve Harvey. Um, stop sending me these. <laughs> <laughs> Stop sending me these do-rags, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> uh, so when you want to feel like a king, but you also want to be cool, get a do-rag for your mood. Everyone back, ready, stretched out. I'm still here with Hijack, here with Max and Ron. We're talking uh, a little bit about their band and stuff like that. Um, I think the biggest thing, obviously, is the love of y'all women. So this is the time, you know? I want to give you the opportunity to, to talk about how the women have inspired you, supported you, and dare I say, put you in this place all by themselves without your help at all, you know? This seemed like almost a dramatic stretch, but I mean, like, I'm guessing we can... I mean, they don't play the music and do the boo-boo-boo stuff like y'all do, you know, but, like, you know, they there. No, they, I mean, honestly, because we had just posted about it on uh, our social media pages, um, but, yeah. On International Women's Day. I'm yeah, on, on International Women's Day, that's right. Yep. Um, yeah, without them, the band would have fallen apart years ago, because I think what makes it work as a, as a unit being the four of us is the fact that at least for now and hopefully forever knock on wood it never seems like one of us is bent out of shape at the same time as any of the other ones so <laughs> what i mean is is like we haven't had our clock sink right so it's like someone will be in a bad mood and the other three will fix it and then we'll move on and then somebody else will be in a bad mood and we patch it up and we move on but it but because of that it never uh, it's it's like a three-legged dog then at some point. The three-legged dog can still walk. <laughs> so we never actually, like, fall and fall on our faces. So... Uh, with, I love the yeah. analogies that we just used through this. Of, like, I thought singing, that was a good one. Three-legged three dog. dog. Man, we're, we're just going to go all over the space. So I think the three-legged... And it's funny because I saw a three-legged dog literally yesterday. But I think that that's a great... I think that's a very good point, too, as well. Like... 
like it, you can still stand because each other supports each other in each other's different, unique way. Right. Absolutely. Ron, man, this is your turn. She gonna hear this, man. So uh, you know, no pressure. <laughs> well, I mean, like, yes, uh, both of our wives artistically talented. They're. I will reveal this one other hijacked secret. They're kind of also our crowd readers and our spies in a sense. So we can oh, also yeah. like watch them to see, be like gauge how we're doing in a show and they can actually like feedback to us. Normally by facial expressions. We're pretty expressful that way. <laughs> and we'll or just actually adjust accordingly. Or otherwise they take mental notes and they're like, yeah, people really like this song, this song, not so much this time, this song, people didn't like it at all, take it out of the set list, you know, stuff like that. And then we were able to retool how we played things or when we played things. Um, they were pretty much our coaches. Right. All right. So it's kind of like how we actually even interact on stage, too. So, right. I mean, so by having them as that gauge, we were able to very quickly temper a hijack live show into something that works consistently, even if you've never seen us before. They're uh, definitely uh, very responsible for the quality of a hijack show. Absolutely. And a lot of different aspects. So, I mean... Absolutely. Yeah. The quality goes all, all to, uh, our, to both of our wives. <laughs> it's true. It's totally true. I mean, we had to shout them out, you know? Yeah. While they're, uh, while they're inspiring, supporting you a lot, um, obviously you've had to go through certain discrimination. I just thinking about like the Mississippi one and I mean like it wasn't oh, necessarily well, that was just when we were driving and we were passing through Mississippi right but yeah. dude at that gas station I couldn't fill that car fast enough man I was like come on finish up finish up finish up finish up I see trucks on dualies I want to leave come on finish up finish up finish up <laughs> I could not get out of that state fast enough man I'm sorry <laughs> But other than other than that, I mean, other than that, why well, think we're big? <laughs> we, I mean, we've had a couple of venues that we later discovered wouldn't book us for sh certain shows because they didn't think of us as they they liked the music, but they're like, yeah, but your drummer, uh, you know, right. not, not saying it, but saying it, and I was just kind of like, was, wow, just a little tanner than most. Let's just say that. So. Um, our revenge, at least from once, we won't say who that owner is because at this point we're not powerful enough to get sued and be able to take that. So um, maybe one day. Um, eventually. Eventually. But we'll just say that from that, once we learned that from then on out, um, we forced that venue to pay us each and every time they had us there. Because it was a good venue and we were willing to do the gigs because they usually had better bands come through there. Mm -hmm. um, but we made them pay us decently for every show that we did. Um, and they wanted us enough that they were willing to pay us. So that so, worked out actually. Yeah, so we just would play the show, take the money and leave. Do your work, get paid, leave. So, so while you're doing a lot of this work, obviously burnout happens. Like, so hijack, kicking in the first gear. When do you know that it's first gear, in that first deal, you know? Ooh, first record deal or like? Just first deal in, well, the first deal, like the first endorsement deals that we had oh, started, okay. started to come in 
after 2017, which ironically was around the time that we burned out. Yeah, that um, was the burnout year. That was a stress test year. Yeah, so 2017 was the year that basically the goal of that year was play any and all gigs possible. And we did, and we played a stupid number of gigs. We went through like 80 gigs in a year. Um, and we were all burnt out, and we were cranky, and we hated each other by the end of the year. But we, uh, again, because of having the four of us together, um, one of us had the head space and common sense to say, hey, we should all sit down and just talk through this, which is what we did, so here we are. We actually even started having like band meetings and kind of like family get-togethers to like further know each other's personalities and all right. that. Right, just simple Not things. just the business aspect, but actually like kind of fostering Everything. the family aspect. Yep, so. which has worked really well for us. I know it doesn't necessarily work for every band, but it has worked really well for us. Um, and then, let me see. It's basically like being married in a sense. I mean, like, <laughs> In a way. Yeah, and even with... Well, it is. It is. And I even mean, in yeah. 2017, that stress test is like, well, beforehand we were dating. We would just see each other for the gigs and the practices and all. But actually touring, well, that's when you actually live with the other individuals. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's different. Like, oh, crap. Now we have to learn, like, each other's, like... Daily habits. Bed, bedding habits and everything else like that and bathroom orders and... Dude, God, it was actually a mess. But we actually survived that mess. <laughs> yeah, and we were stronger than ever. But right. it was after the that year because we had pulled down such an impressive number of shows. Um, not necessarily quality shows, just the number of shows. Uh, then we were approached. Uh, I think I ended up, I ended up getting the first deal. I got. Um, the first deal I got was through a company called WB Gear, right? Uh, which right. was, um, it was like a thing that you could apply for. It was kind of like a grant sort of thing where they would get you like the stuff musicians need, picks, strings, etc. But they'd get them to you at Road really good prices. Stuff like that. Um, so I applied for that and I ended up getting in, um, which is something I still have. I just don't use um, much of anything from them except I get my custom picks through. There you go in tune guitar picks and uh, I get those still through WB gear um, and then I ended up getting an endorsement with Reverend Guitars uh, which I am not using any of their instruments right now but one day I hope to uh, get back into purchasing some of their guitars uh, that OG was nice yes that, that, that's the one I still think about I think I'll get another I one I think those. about that one too I'm a drummer and I think about your guitars um, let's just put that in perspective <laughs> here and then um, and then after that, uh, Ron ended up getting the endorsement deal with Scorpion Percussion for his signature drumsticks. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and then sometime Dirt in Bay 2019, yeah. we applied for this company out of Chicago called Dirtbag Clothing, which, to their name, is a clothing company, but they, all, they do more than that. Um, but they do have clothing. They do also sell like merch for bands, and they offer other discounts. So then I started getting indirect endorsements uh, through like Prestige guitars and EMG pickups and stuff like that. And uh, um, for us drummers, drum they also yeah, uh, according to drum heads as well as also Scorpion Percussion. Right. So in other words, so you're double tipping. So of. yeah. So my endorsement through Scorpion Percussion, then the endorsement through uh, Dirtbag Clothing completely meshed and also I'm still happy about this move and thank you both to Scorpion Percussion and to Koopa Grooves mm. for that whole entire merger so now Scorpion uh, Percussion 
and Cooper Grooves are joining forces to make very awesome, unique, sick, custom-made drumsticks. And I am just so excited, and I'm probably going to reorder my signature set or might even redesign my signature set yeah. because I'll be excited to try them out. And they're technically local. I mean, like, they're Illinois, Illinois base. So, I yeah. mean, like, it's not like they're an international chain yet, but... Yeah, they're just, still they're local. Just quality cool. all the way through, though. Oh my God, they're the best drumsticks he's ever used. Because he used to use um, Zildjian, Zildjian drumsticks, yeah. and they were fine drumsticks. But Ron is a hard-hitting drummer, so he would bust, he would break through them pretty easily. So whatever. It he, looked cool. I mean, like you just see like shattered lumber when you right. like, going all, all over the place. But um, but when it he got gets the expensive. In, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, those sticks were expensive too. Yeah, um, but then he ended up getting the deal with uh, Scorpion, and they had the size drumsticks he wanted, and so he was like, "All right, I'll give these a shot." And they're made. Uh, Scorpion, I guess, uses what they call weapon grade hickory, yep. so really, really strong, like what you would use for like the, right, the, the like the stocks. right the butt stocks and everything. Um, and I mean, Ron can still gnaw through one, but it takes him like. 10 times as long to break a stick at this point. I have very sharp teeth. So he uh, he hits harder <laughs> now as a result of now having sticks that he can't break. And also now he gets them at a discount and gets them in a huge box. Yeah, I just get a box of them and it's like, yeah, I'll run through them. And of course, uh, he sells them I too. also sell them too. So I mean, like, yes, to aspiring drummers and to drummers who just want to try out Scorpion percussion but not commit to it. Heck. You can use me as a, um, a litmus test to a litmus test and be like, here, try my sticks, see if you like them. Um, you should talk about some of your early songs. You know, like how did you, how did you kind of develop your sound to, you know, from where you started to where you are now? Well, the the biggest thing was him changing his drum set. So by that, what I mean is, is that the drum set he had, that nine-piece inexpensive drum set, was kind of better fit for metal because it was a it bit more job. well it was more it was a bit more uh muted it was a little bit more dead sounding yes. which were good for metal hits but it wasn't good for being especially in a two-piece band but the the Gretsch kit that he has really like knocks a note out of the park when it hits it dynamics so it's learning the whole entire art of dynamics and how not to necessarily completely crush the drums it's also about the songs. It's about all the different things to necessarily draw a listener in and different tones of different pitches as well. Right. So um, with him developing his style, then having his new drum kit, my sound changed with his to complement and accentuate because, again, we are a two-piece band, so we have to play off of each other's frequencies and we have to dial in you know, certain so. mid-ranges and especially low-end to still get a full sound with just being a two-piece. Because I'm not going for the white, stripy, black keys kind of sound. I'm going for the, you know, three, four-piece band sound, but it's just two of us. Exactly. I was just going to ask, like, another question came up. was like, have you ever tried to add a new member? Yes. And how did that go? It never went well. <laughs> for one, like not for any one particular reason, but we tried out a number of different bass players, um, and for one reason or the other, all of them ended up falling short. Um, the last one of which would have been a fantastic bass player, 
um, but he had other commitments and it wasn't going to work out. And that's honestly okay because at this point we would need somebody that would be as committed to the band as we are. I mean, we have we have individual families, we have wives, we have homes, we have full-time jobs, and we're still as committed to the band as we can humanly be. Right. So we would expect whoever we brought on board to feel the same way. And that is difficult to combine that with an actual good player who has his own or her own equipment and a mode of transportation. That seems to be very difficult to accomplish. Yeah, and I mean, we're gonna say, they also still have to gel with us too. But like yeah. I said, the whole entire band thing is like, you go through a dating phase into a marrying phase and everything else like that. It's like, it takes a lot of thought and consideration to add a third to this type of working mechanism, so. Right, especially considering our wives are heavily involved in the band. It just, it adds an extra layer that it would, the, whoever it was that we would end up adding, if we ever added somebody, would have to be exceptional. And we just haven't found that person yet. We are not opposed to and still- And cool with all four of us. Right. And we're not opposed to still finding that person. We just haven't yet, but we're not going to stop making music in the interim. Otherwise, the band would have never gotten off the ground to begin with. Talk about your first hit and how that came about and how you knew it was a hit. Um, I guess the first... Does that mean Call Me, then? I guess. I mean, wow. quote-unquote okay. hit, because Call Me was the first song that got played on the radio. Um, Call Me, I remember, was... I, I actually remember very little about writing it. All I remember is is that we had jammed it out, and it was a, it was an accident because it, I was I meant to play a chord, like a regular oh, chord, yeah, but right. the guitar was in a drop tuning. So when I played a regular chord, it it weren't it wasn't the right two notes. So it right. sounded way different, way off. But for whatever reason, I hit the right wrong chord, and suddenly there was an idea. And we were able to quickly develop the idea, actually. It was pretty cool how, I remember the whole thing came together pretty quickly. Right. And we had pretty much, I would say, 90% of the music figured out that day. And then on the drive home from his house on 36th and Hampton to my apartment in Whitefish Bay, um, I, I came up with the lyrics while I was driving through traffic. And then I went home and wrote them down. And then the next rehearsal, I think we finished it up. Yep. And that was it. And we were just like, man, this has a nice groove to it, but it has a heaviness to it, but it has a, a catchy, hooky chorus. Like, it had all of the elements. We were like, this is a good song. It's like, like finding all the different ingredients for a cake, in a sense. Right, and having all the ingredients be, like, exactly right, somehow. Like, ex everything is exactly right, and it's just the perfect cake. <laughs> that was kind of what that first song was like. It was like, man, everything is there. You guys seem to kind of pull from everywhere, but is there a specific moment that you have that, like, that you can say, yes, this is my, this is the origin? Me, I guess if we're saying the origin of the start of everything was ACDC. That was the origin for me. Uh, because prior to ACDC, um, I wasn't really a music listener, you know? I listened to whatever was on the radio, but I didn't really pay attention to the music. I, you know, it was just top 40s, just, you know, in the 90s. So I guess better top 40s than what we have now, but mm -hmm. still 
not great. <laughs> um, and then I think around my 13th birthday, my parents gifted me a copy of, of Back in Black. And I was like, what is this? And they're like, just listen to it. Just just try it. Um, and so I, I actually listened to my parents for once. And I, I um, tried out this record and it. I do remember it took me a couple of listens, but after a certain point, I was like, man, this is great. And then to kind of icing on the cake, then after I started to get into it, my parents took me to my first real record store and then showed me the ACDC section because they had more than one record, which was again, mind blowing. Cause at the time, I guess, what was popular was like InSync and Backstreet Boys, so they only had like one record out. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started collecting the ACDC records, and after I guess about a year of listening to all this music, I was like, "No, I gotta play this music. I can't just listen. I have to. I have to play it." And so my dad had an acoustic guitar, um, and he let me borrow it, and I started taking lessons, and that was it. I guess in uh. For me, he, um, my first influence would have been uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, actually. Mm. My uh, parents uh, kind of introduced me to the uh, funk realm, and then from there I uh, went into the jazz realm and the smooth jazz realm. I was learning different things like that through, like, uh, Nick Coleon or uh, Chuck Loeb. And, yes, two guitars, because originally I was... A guitarist more so than being a drummer, actually. That's true. So, even through the Four Letter Word days, I went through um, being a rhythm guitarist there to being a bass player to eventually being a drummer for that band. Yep. So, it wasn't until then I kind of went into drumming, and at that point, I was like straight up metalhead at that point. Right. So, a lot of uh, Bullet for My Valentine, a lot of Kill Switch Engage. And a lot out of corn, uh, a lot of guys back and doing those type of uh, drum riffs. And probably around that point, I was listening to bands like Alkaline Trio. Yeah, so you went. I was I was in that like <laughs> punk sound. So yeah, the new metal era was a thing upon me, and then afterwards the core uh, era. Afterwards, and metalcore, hardcore, right? Just screamo, getting my whole entire drums around that. But it's and weird. now he's into progressive, like yes, animals, leaders, architects, periphery, Devin Townsend project stuff. I was listening to Opeth. in college. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's not like I Mashuga. mean, like the, oh, dude, Mashuga. Obviously, Tool. I mean, like did, did yeah. I need to mention that? And then afterwards, I started like going down this one weird rabbit hole of other weirder progressive artists that are like deep down in like the core of the earth like Bola and uh, oh I had another good one too and it's not coming to my mind uh, and then I had a black oh, metal Bola phase was awesome. then I started listening to bands like Cradle of Filth Demure Borgir <laughs> um, Abba uh, Emperor and other just crazy music like that so I've literally listened to everything. And then just the other day, I was like, I want to hear some Beatles. So at work, I played the fucking Beatles. So I was like, <laughs> I can listen to anything. You, you do that, and then I 
go into a Gorgura realm for the heck of it because I just want to keep going heavier and more complex. Oh, but that that's where my head gets weird. So like today I was, uh, one of my coworkers, I was like, hey Maria, listen to this. And I made her listen to a song by Nails. Oh, she okay, was like, yeah. that is brutal. Brutal. And I was like, yep. And then we went back to listening to the Beatles. That, yeah, I, and I was good with that. I was like, yeah, let's listen to the Beatles now. So it's like, I don't know. Um, well, guys, talk about, um, we're almost done here. Um, let's talk about your favorite album. Okay, you're going to have to explain this to me a little bit. Well, he's saying, like, if you could, like, so some people will say, like, for example, like a record I would love to make, I would like this band to make our Led Zeppelin 4. Like, one of those seminal records that people are like, like, man, I wish I could make a record that sounded like Van Halen 1. Oh, right, or a record okay. that sounded like 10,000 Days or, you know, Tool or whatever. But that's the point. Like, those are your records. You're like, man, I want to make a record like that. Ooh, dude. Seriously, when I listen to... I admit it, I'm a Tool fan. And yes, I will still praise Fear Inoculum, even though it took 13 years in order to get here. It's good. It's good album. But the dynamics of how all the sounds come through and are played onto it and just articulated are just beautiful. Everything from this speed and progression to speed and tempos to regression and tempos is just orchestrated beautifully. And it's authentically like the four of them in Tool for that. So I mean, you feel such an interesting euphoria and just an interesting roller coaster to listen to that album. So I will say, yeah, Fear Inoculum would be um, the one that I wish I was definitely a part of one way or the other. But, well, for me, dude, that experience is just beautiful. The record I want the band to make is I want to make our classic album. I want to make our. Def Leppard's Hysteria, our Led Zeppelin IV, our Motorhead's Ace of Spades, our ACDC Back in Black. I want to make that record, that record that ends up just standing the test of time. And we haven't made that record yet. I know we haven't because we're still progressing and figuring stuff out and, you know, technology being different has influenced us in a lot of different ways. Also, you know, working with the record label we're working now, so working in a different studio environment, working with somebody that really knows what he's doing, uh, at least as far as, you know, sonic shaping and everything is concerned. Uh, We're still going through through changes. And so we, I know we haven't made that record yet, but that's the record that I hope for us to achieve at some point is that record for us. That breakthrough record, that home run ball right there. Right. You know, our white album. There you go. Our black album. <laughs> Actually, it's true on both sides. <laughs> right. The Beatles white album and Metallica's black. black. Yeah, yeah Metallica's black album. Really well. I was actually thinking like, okay, one of us is going to say Metallica album, which one are we going to choose? So it's like, the black one has been the standard one. Hey, man. I know people... Justice Wall is there, and so is Ride the Lightning, just saying. I know, and Master of Puppets is good, too, but the thing that also I think about with uh, Metallica's Black Album is that was the first record of its of ever to have costed a million dollars to make. 
So uh, when I listen too, to that yeah. album, I, I always think to myself, you are listening to what a million dollars can buy. So and you're listening to a million dollar record. Good. <laughs> it's a good, it sounds good. I don't care if you're like, you know, you don't like the, uh, you know, if you don't like that, that's fine. Just listen to the harder songs on that album. But right. the album sounds good. Well, even in the composure, though, it was more like Beethoven-esque. So, I mean, like, yeah, Unforgiven is written basically that way. Actually, we can even go through, like, any of those songs throughout. Even right. one. That one Which was came, just a, That was on Justice for All. Right. So, yeah. And also in Justice for All, seriously, bad song there, too. So, I mean, the way that they actually created those songs was just masterful in itself, too. Right. But yeah, that's the record I want us to make, and we haven't made it yet, and we'll see. I mean, maybe this record that we're working on now will be it. I don't know, but we haven't finished making it yet. I'm excited for it. Not, I'm, <laughs> it sounds, I have high hopes. It sounds beautiful. It sounds big. It sounds just so electrified and just amplified. Um, and we have a song I'm on it. I'm happy about it. <laughs> and we have a song on it called Milwaukee that uh, features um, Milwaukee rapper Schleberry. Um, and then also two so, yeah. percussionists too. Oh uh, yeah, Jimbe Josh is on that one. Nice. And if you know the River scene, and then also um, Hank Morrissey, aka Mr. Massacre, one mm. of the better drummers out there in uh, the Milwaukee scene. I actually, yeah, I'm gonna put him on the pedestal. I'll, I'll take like maybe third or fourth down the line. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad that you guys came through, and we're able to do this. Hopefully, I pray to God that this... One thing I definitely want to know is, like, if you can give a mantra that you would tell yourself, like, that you tell yourself each day to keep going, you know? Like, what would that be? You're not there yet. That's the one I keep telling myself. You're not there yet. It's like, it's the same mantra for failures as well as successes. So it's like, failures, okay. You failed at that. You're not there yet to the point of succeeding. Keep going until you do. And even after you succeed, it's like, cool, you got that one accomplishment, but you're not there yet. Keep getting your next accomplishment. So it's kind of like a progressive uh, mantra for me. You're not there yet. I guess for me, it would be kind of that I still have quite a bit to learn, uh, musically at least from, the, from that aspect, because you know, Hijack has been afforded uh, a number of various lucky happenstances um, that I've that I've never been able to achieve with any other band. So, in that of itself, I'm extremely grateful. But um, you, especially with learning with learning how to record in a real studio and writing this record, where we had a producer that was listening to our songs and saying like, no that's a bad song, or no, this part sucks. No, this is boring, like we need to change that, or ah, those words don't work, let's do this, or ah, we gotta get rid of all of that. It's like seeing it from a different lens, completely. Right, but as a result of that, it has made us better songwriters. Um, because at one point, you know, when we were writing songs, like maybe we were a bit um, uh, more laissez-faire with in terms of how long the songs were. And uh, with this new record that's coming out, you know, the producer was like, nah, man, this is all fat. Take it out. Like, it doesn't need to be there. And so as a result, the songwriting is leaner. 
Um, and so even the songs that we're you know writing now, new songs that we're working on, um, reflect that newfound knowledge. So, yeah. There's you a know, lot of yeah. aspects we just didn't know at that time, and now it's just re-honing skills. Right. Completely keep learning, keep re-honing them. Right. It took about 10,000 hours to, to really become a master at something. And I think of the time, just like you said, trimming the fat. There are times where we say we were working, but we're not really working. Right. You know? And I'm looking at myself and holding myself accountable underneath those times. You know? And I can really resonate with that, Max, you know? Just really just working at it, like, consistently and just, like, hey, I'm, I'm learning, you know? Oh, God. Thank, Thank you guys for coming on. Um, I really appreciate this time, you know? Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with this time, but I hope that everyone listening to this, I hope you get up, walk around, always drink water, water your plants, get some sunlight, um, and just stay wavy. Stay wavy. <laughs>